0: Já, Christian heiti ég og ég í með Andy Duke. So in English, um, welcome, this is Christian Gislason from Iceland I welcome you to the podcast with Andy Dukes
1: Greetings all, it's our first Icelandic guest on Ride and Talk He doesn't identify as a motorcyclist but after one round the world trip and various other journeys into Africa, Russia and beyond I beg to differ. But why not make your own mind up for this engaging podcast with an inspiring philanthropist? Christian, lovely to have you here as a guest. Welcome to Ride and Talk. Thank you. Thank you. Christian, I have to confess, reading your book and watching your documentary series has made me want to travel again. I thought I got it out of my system, but no, you've given me that feeling of wanting to hit the road again. So thank you for that. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad
0: I had that influence on you by by making the book and... uh but the purpose of my book was to actually to recap my experience and uh, which was uh, enormous as you know you, yourself uh, having been around the world uh, it it was, it was a, a, actually a privilege for me to to be able to write the book because you have you have to get this experience out of your system as you said but to have it in front of you you can always you know, review and remind you of what you have been through. So that's a good thing to have
1: absolutely so many parallels as i've said to you but also so many differences as well and that's one of the things that was really interesting for me because we took a very similar route on the initial stage of our respective round the world journeys from europe to southeast asia but one big difference i noticed back then was that i really defined myself as a motorcyclist right from the beginning whereas you didn't you saw yourself more as a traveler on a motorcycle
0: yes I I must admit, you know, I, I I haven't been into this motorcycling for a long time. I started on the motorcycle when I was fifty-six years old, and a year later, uh, I decided to go around the world on a motorcycle uh, alone. And, uh, and this was uh, probably not the wise thing to do, you know, because I d- didn't have the experience and uh, a lot of people were uh, both amazed and, uh, and more than that, they were, they were very surprised, you know, to, to learn that I was going to go uh, along, alone around the world.
1: But what, actually, what were your motivations in the first place for doing the trip?
0: You see, I was a keen golfer and I was playing golf and I only dreamt about golf. And I was down to, what, 9.6 in handicap when I had to stop because of back pains. And I didn't have any other sport to go into because my life was just golf. And. Then a friend of mine, he said, why don't you come with us, you know, a couple guys here for a ride, and I will lend you the motorcycle. And we rode uh, over the weekend about 1,700 kilometers. And then I, at that time, I I just felt the freedom and the excitement of riding the motorcycle in the countryside. And I could, I, I also saw, the possibilities of combining the, the motorcycle sport with my passion for photography. So that was the, the beginning of, of my, you know, my, my motorcycle experience. Then, uh, you know, a year later, when I decided to go around the world, I invited this friend of mine who had invited me for a weekend ride. I invited him around the world with me we were going to go together but he bailed out at the last minute and i said you know um, he 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 read too much on the internet he got afraid and at a certain time i had to i had to stop when i when i was preparing my my trip i had to stop reading all the stories on the internet because they they made me afraid and then my you know then i had to decide you know shall i go alone or 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 just skip this and then my father at at the age of 89 he said christian just go go alone this this would be much bigger experience for you to go alone you will have all kinds of openings people will come up to you and so on and so so he was the 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 biggest supporter to me for me to go alone
1: wise words indeed from your father yeah, yeah yeah, and he
0: said he said never stop daring never st-. and that's the the last sentence in my book never stop daring never stop to dare and that is so true you know you can always talk you yourself out of situations no, 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 it's not, uh, you know, I shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that, it's too, too much of a risk, too much of trouble and so on. No, do it, do it, because that will, that will you know, it will, such in experiences will enrich your life so much.
1: Totally agree, totally agree. And, you know, the hardest part in any of these things is actually making the decision to go in the first place. And it was uh, very wise of your father to encourage you to go alone because... As yeah. you've since found out, it was absolutely the best decision that you could have made. What I found amazing from looking at your documentaries was, well, compared to me, at least, you, even though you had no knowledge of motorcycles and you were, were inexperienced, as you say, you couldn't change a tyre, you really did get yourself organised. You know, you had a dealer set up a technical preparation course for you. You organised a personal trainer. You learnt first aid. You did rider training. You practised self-defence. You did so much route Planning it really was a systematic approach to doing this trip wasn 't it to start
0: with i 'm a systems analyst, so I like to have things in order <laughs> you know to start there, but the thing is that I was waking up in the middle of the night sweating and I, I, and what I did, I had a piece of paper and a pencil on the pencil on the on the desk, and I wrote down what I was thinking about when I woke up and, and in the morning then i I looked at it and said, okay, I'm afraid of this. I, what will I do if I would have a puncture? I don't know, I have to learn it, you know. So that, in that way, I made my memo list while, during the nights, you know, so I, have, I had to work on these things to get my mind settled, you know, to, to be wow. in control.
1: It it just makes me realize how uh, ill prepared I was. I I literally threw a few things in uh, the panniers and and sort of (laughs) head off. And and I also noticed from those preparations that that you took a lot more gear than I did. I mean, you even had a a spare tire on the back of the on the top of the top Um. box. And uh, wow, I mean, you, you must have had a lot of weight on that bike when you left. But again, these are things that you just don't know until you know, do you?
0: No, you don't know them unless until you have to. You have to use them. Then you face another problem: is to find the find the, all the things you 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 stored on the bike. So you had to also organize that. But uh, to be honest, I took too much with me, and on the way I threw out things and I added other things, and I, I think I think I had renewed more or less everything when I came back more or less,
1: you know. Yeah, I, I always make a joke with my daughter. She goes away for the weekend somewhere in the UK and, and puts more into the back of her car than yeah. I did to, 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 to uh, travel around the world for a year. But uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, something yeah, we yeah. all learn, isn't it? So you actually started the trip with a couple of friends who were actually riding with you for the whole European leg of the trip. I think they rode with you until Istanbul and then they returned home. And I remember you looking almost in a state of shock at that moment, at the enormity of what lay ahead of you, crossing that gateway into Asia and, and basically heading into the unknown. That was an incredible feeling of emotion that I sensed from seeing that particular video.
0: Yeah, I think my trip started there, actually. I had been preparing for eight months. I, I said goodbye to my family, my, my father, my wife and so on. But I didn't take it in that I was going to be alone because they followed me through Europe to Istanbul, as you said. And then I, when I said goodbye to them, then I felt the the real trip was starting. And it was a shock for me to also being in a completely new, not only environment, but also in a new another culture. You know, you could hear all the all the, what's it, the noises from the mosques and so on so it was all weird for me you know so so it was a it was a it was a really big moment for me shall, shall i say
1: yeah I, I it was a very very honest um bit of filmmaking i could see your fear and and i remember feeling that fear myself so it, it really struck a chord with me but What was really interesting also was that there was this slow realization after then that people were interested in you, that they wanted to help you, that there was this realization that allowed you to start adapting to your new circumstances, to start trusting others and and to just go with the flow whenever possible.
0: There was no country on the way that I was uh, as much afraid of as going into Iran. Somehow I, I just, it was, it was a a big moment for me to go into Iran. I was so much afraid. I don't know why, you know, but as soon as I got to know these people, I found, I, I asked myself actually from what planet are these people? I had never experienced as, as much uh, generosity, uh, helpfulness, Uh, they are just lovely. All the people in Iran, and I tell you, I had visa for fourteen days. I was invited to their homes, uh, out for dinner, or people paid for my dinner ten times. Unfortunately, I couldn't uh, accept all the invitations. But you know, this is just to show how 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 lovely these people were. And I think from that moment, I I realized that my preconceptions were 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 not right. You know, I, I, had, I was a, a, a prejudiced, we can say, uh, not only towards people, but uh, culture and, and the way of living and all that. When I, on the other hand, started to learn, uh, you know, the, the, when I started to, to get to know the people and their culture and appreciate then I started to take it all in and 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 learn something and and I think that is one of the reasons why I always extended my trip because I found this was not only in Iran. I mean Iran is a certain exception, but this was everywhere, everywhere I went, people were so friendly and I often say, you know, of the people I met were not only nice people, they were fantastic.
1: Yeah, I had the same uh, positive experiences in Iran. Uh, And I think it's, it's, you don't need to feel guilty about Feeling as if you were prejudiced because in a way we have the Western media to That's the only That's the only way we can get our information. And, and of course, there's propaganda that goes both ways. And of course, there's bias. So it was just fantastic that you're able to experience that and then that you're able to share it with the world as well. And of course, I was following your blog at the time and there were so many moving stories, evocative videos and amazing portraits that you took on this on this 50,000-kilometer trip over the 10 months that you said. So suffice to say that we'd need several podcasts to cover all the details. <laughs> yeah, yeah, But fortunately, you've published a fantastic book about this trip that we will talk about later. But for now, I'm interested to know that outside of Iran where you felt in danger, but obviously it didn't materialize, were there any other places where you felt in danger on your travels?
0: As you said, I, I wrote uh, close to 48,000... Uh, kilometers i can say that out of those 48000 kilometers i was uh, on a critical path uh, 800 kilometers of that i was uh, I, I was uh, in a convoy with either police or or the military but i never felt uh, threatened but uh, the, 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 the places where I I was in a convoy was in East uh, India, uh, right before we came into Myanmar in the mountains there. Uh, it was in Colombia, and it was uh, the last three hundred kilometers in Mexico before I entered Texas. There in Mexico, I felt something, and. Uh, it is a, a place where the drug producers and the military are fighting. They are not actually uh, going for the tourists or motorcyclists, but they are fighting, you know, the the, the, the the drug war is still going on there. I was being followed by a car in East, in East India at the night, and I usually never ride my motorcycle when, I, when, the, when it's getting dark, as you know, it's dangerous. But this time I made an exception, and the car followed me. And, and then I decided to stop and see, because I was going too fast, you know. The guy who was riding the car, the driver, he, he, he stopped and said to me, you are entering a dangerous zone you can either you know come with me back you can stay with me or i can find a place for you and i had to at that time i had to judge you know is he is he a crook you know can i trust him i decided to trust him so i went back and i stayed with him in his house fantastic it was amazing yeah
1: that is amazing because two things really one you had to make a judgment call you you effectively put your life in in the hands of a stranger at that moment two he went out of his way to help a complete stranger who he realized was he probably read your number plate or he obviously he had motorcycles in, in that part of the world of that size. With It was clear you were a traveler and you were maybe not on the road you should have been on. But he went out of his way to, to flag you down and to warn you. Not only that, he gave you shelter. That's incredible. Yeah,
0: yeah. And told me all the story about this and what was happening and so on and so on, you know. I skipped a checkpoint. That was my mistake. I thought, you know, this was just a formality, but it was a checkpoint to safeguard me.
1: We've all done it. <laughs> We've all done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. about um, actual riding conditions? What were the toughest riding conditions you encountered? Which country would you say? Uh,
0: it was probably in Myanmar. We went through Myanmar, uh, what we were doing, 10 of us, we met on the internet and we shared the cost of going through Myanmar, it costed about $22,000 for us, 10 of us. And we were in a convoy with a guide on a big four wheel drive. And he, you know, he wanted to show us a good, uh, you know, the mountain, the mountain, uh, site of the Myanmar which are incredible until, until live there you know it's it he took us back a couple hundred years back you know in time and we we experienced uh, the the countryside which was great but at the same time the the conditions there were not good and uh, it was muddy road and it had been raining and so on so people were falling and, and it was the the toughest one
1: you probably had road tires on as well did you
0: yeah i I didn't have good uh, good tires for for that you know you could see it actually in the documentary I was just spinning the wheels you know but fortunately i I, I, I got unhurt there also going up some of the mountains in in it was in actually in in India where the gravel roads and it had been raining and the conditions were really bad the trucks were either you know uh, broken or or whatever and i was there on my motorcycle with all my 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 gear about 90 95 kilos of everything you know and i knew that i was i couldn't fall you know because first of all It was just difficult for me to race the motorcycle i had to unload everything and then pick up the bike and load everything back and that costs energy you know not talking about getting injured but you know i'm just talking about
1: it's exhausting it's absolutely exhausting yeah you know
0: exhausting you know hot humid and all this you know so i had to and i'm alone like you were i'm alone and in some cases and some roads the, there were not a lot of people you know you had to rely on yourself and that that was uh, that was tough for me especially because i didn't have that experience you know
1: and and you were on the um, 800 gs did you have any technical problems at all
0: no i didn't i i decided to go on the 800 uh or on a bmw because i wanted a reliable you know, motorcycle some people said you should go on a honda or, or, or yamaha or whatever because it can be fixed on the way but i i i decided to rely on the on the german uh engineering and uh, they didn't put me down i mean it was really I I must say I'm not sponsored by BMW. I've never been so but I it was but having said that, I shouldn't have been on the eight hundred. Eight hundred is is too aggressive for a man like me with with such a little experience. The twelve hundred is the perfect bike for me.
1: Yeah, the power delivery is completely different. I mean I, I absolutely love the 800. It just yeah. just kind of suited me. But then uh, I, I love the 1200 as well. But you, you mentioned at, at the start of our chat today that uh, you didn't know how to fix a puncture when you started uh, thinking about your trip. Did you get any on your trip?
0: Yeah, oh, twice. Uh, one was in Myanmar. And then I I had the uh, assistance of my partners, the 10, 10 travelers. You know, they, they, they were much better... Uh, uh, they, they had more experience some of them had more experience than I did but then I, my second one was in, in, in the middle of the Nullarbor desert in, in, in Australia and that was I mean that was quite a challenge for me
1: yeah, you've got to be resourceful on the Null- Nullarbor Plain, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. It's interesting what you said about, you know, the group of travellers who assisted you, because it is also a remarkably small world out there on the road, yeah. isn't it? I yeah. mean, I saw you stayed with uh, my friend Hussein in Iran. Yeah, he, yeah, got yeah. Me, he got me across the border. Yeah, I think yeah. you met my friend Tin in uh, yeah. Myanmar, yeah. and you rode some of your trip, and I think it was that bit you were just mentioning, with Rolf Langer. Yeah, he's, right. also, he's also been a guest on this podcast, ah, so... Okay. All these people—they're part of your journey, and you never forget them, do you? Ever?
0: Never. That was, they had actually um, been together more. Uh, they went through, they went through Russia, and so we met together in in India just before we w- went into uh, Myanmar. But they had been writing together for at least one or two weeks, so they they got to know each other much better. But I made friendship with with them as well. And I have, some of them have come to Iceland after that. Super,
1: super. And I think, uh, I think Rolf might be on the road again. So lo- lovely guy. I'm, inter- I'm interested to know, because it's certainly something that happened to me and I felt guilty about it at the time. Did you ever get homesick?
0: To be honest, I, I don't think so. Don't recall. But I missed my grandchildren.
1: We'll cut out this part from your wife then. <laughs> Just <laughs> kidding! Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, she knows me well enough. To, <laughs> but I missed my grandchild. I had at that time, I had one grandchild, and I, I, I had a guilty feeling leaving my grandchild. Yeah,
1: because you miss so much but, when they're young and they change yeah, so quickly, don't they?
0: Was, yeah, no, you know that that was really the thing. But what I did to overcome that, and I made a small project. I made a T-shirt with a picture of my only grandchild on, in here on the front. And then I took pictures, uh, you know, of me wearing the T-shirt in, in front of famous buildings, Tash Mahal, and other, you know, the Opera House in, 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 uh, in Sydney and uh, the uh, Liberty Statue in New York and many, many, many other places. So when I came back, I, I, I composed a small video to to give him, you know. So that will be his present for for this trip, you know. And now I'm composing another, um, and now I'm co- composing a book for him, or for my grandchildren, with the same concept. So I tried to do something about about this, you know, guiltiness of mine.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great way of dealing with it. What about people on the road? Are there any people who left a particularly strong impression on you? I mean, I can see behind you there, there's that portrait of an Indian woman with very sad eyes. What's, what's the story there? Well, that, that is, you know...
0: Uh, I'll tell you one thing here. Um, one of the things that have changed inside of me is that I I am so emotional after this trip, I I think it's uh, you know my I am so thankful uh, and humble of being able to do this. But uh, you know, but it's more than that. It's just a humbleness for for the life I was given. You know, it's it it, it, it turns out that this this uh, travel has become some kind of a Privilege in our know, pilgrimage journey, and I am so appreciable and humble. And and you asked me for you know the story behind this picture. I almost I I start almost crying thinking of it, you know. But it was a I, I was in a small restaurant. It was just a road restaurant, very primitive road restaurant, and this girl was working there just cleaning up and so on and she was so unhappy I I, but still in this environment with her beautiful scarf and how she was dressed with a colorful dress on and with the the bricks in the back and the light coming to her I wanted to get a a portrait of her and I knew you know I couldn't I couldn't approach her I, I went to the owner and said can I have a picture of you with this girl and I did that. I t- took a picture, and then I asked the owner, "Can you step? By, can, can you step back here? I just want to have the picture of her." So I managed to get the a picture, and then there was some connection between me and her, and I felt, you know, what she was saying, you know, you know, thank you for recognizing me, you know, thank you, and and, and she gave me a smile I will never forget. And I went to the bike and when I was leaving, there were maybe 20, 30, you will see that in the documentary, you were 20, 30 people just watching me leaving. And then I was waving her and waved and she gave me the best smile when she waved. I will never ever forget. This was the moment. And this is actually one of the moments of my trip, small moment, but it was so powerful. So, you know, this was such a, this was just a, a moment of respect. And I have experienced that since then also with other people.
1: I've seen a lot of your videos. I mean, there was that English guy. It might've even been in the Myanmar section. But I think his name was Dan or Dan Skeets or something like that. And, Dan Skeets, and, yeah, yeah. And he said something like, um, cause he was on his own personal journey, like, like anyone who does these, these Big journeys, and and he said something that stuck with me. It was something like, you know, you are the result of your experiences, and so in, you know that makes that makes perfect sense when you're sort of trying to discuss how a trip can change you, doesn't it?
0: Yes, it definitely. I mean, I was never expecting, to be honest with you. I mean, I I, I was thinking of photography; that was my main mission, but coming back and realizing how, what kind of impact this had on my, myself personally. I was never expecting that. And, and you know, it, it, and, uh, and as a result, I think, you know, I, I, at least I hope I am a better person. I hope so. But I feel I'm different, completely different person.
1: Yeah, I think when you look back on a trip like that as an older man, you know, there's a lot of reflection that goes on yeah. and for sure it, it it definitely has changed you. But what would you say was the biggest lesson that you've learned?
0: That's a tough question. Of course, I have in in many, I mean, I can say a few things. I think the world is much more beautiful than I expected, even though I have, seen documentaries, photo books and so on to start with. The biggest conclusion is people are good. I mean that's that's as a simple way of saying we are living in a a beautiful world. And 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 because we are only two of us here talking, you know I'm I'm going to release a small secret here. I have, when I got back, I found out that I was feeling so um, well, I, mentally, physically, I was in such a good balance and I was enjoying thing, things much more. I think I saw the brightness of the colors more than I did before. I could spot the beauty in everything and so on. and. I noticed that I had not been on, I had not been neither watching TV, nor listening to radio news, and I asked myself, can this be the reason why I always extended my trip besides working on my <laughs> preconceptions and prejudice, but also, also uh, I am I am totally isolated from these the media. So I said to myself, I'm going to extend this when I come back home and see if uh, I can stay out of the media flow. And uh, so I said, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. But I tell you, I have never, ever, not for one minute, listened to radio news or TV news for seven years. I completely skipped it. And I said, this is just a bus. I'm not going to have it to interfere or to ruin the quality of life I have. I am am getting old, you know, (laughs) and I'm just going to think about quality not only what I am eating and exercising, but also protecting this little box we call a brain, to not to absorb absorb anything. And I think, to be honest with you, I think I have
1: never felt as good as now. Enviable advice that uh, all of us could follow, but obviously life gets in the way, doesn't it? But life is busy. and, And of course, since coming back from that trip, You've been really busy. I mean, you also did a coast-to-coast ride across the USA after, I think, feeling that you'd maybe not ride again after the world trip. You did a ride from Iceland to Russia in 2018. You did a trip to Africa, but you've also published a book, two books, in fact. Uh, You're lecturing about your travels, and you've also started a charity foundation. So tell me about the books. Tell me about the foundation.
0: Yes, thank you for mentioning that. I mean uh, to start with I am that fortunate I sold my company in 2006 and I am that fortunate to be uh, financially independent and I can do things I don't have to rely on anyone I don't need any sponsors and so on so it gives me enormous freedom of doing what I want to do when I got back with my uh, with all my stuff you know with uh, my my uh, photos videos and and not the least the the my diaries i wrote over 500 pages of diaries uh, around the world so i wanted to do something about this and i had uh, um, a professional writer to help me to compose this and and a designer to make a nice look of my book which i was only going to give to my relatives and kids and you know my leg- <laughs> legacy you know uh, and and then somebody said the, you know Christian you should sell this 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 has um, this has a value and you should sell it and but I never could imagine myself uh, earning money on on the generosity of people allowing me to take these pictures so then uh, my wife and I we decided to to establish this uh, uh, charity fund and and we published a book and it uh, and we, what we do, we, 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 we finance everything, we, the printing, the editing and everything. So every single uh, cent that comes in from selling the book goes into the charity fund. We, we take the cost. I only thought that I was going to print once the book. Now it's the third printing going on. And then, uh, then the documentary, the same applies with the documentary. Um, we made, I made the documentary three episodes for the, around the world. And it was shown on the national TV in Iceland, which is a big honor for me. Uh, and all, all income from that goes to the charity fund as well. So we are working for the charity fund on volunteer basis. And we are giving money to projects that prevent young Icelanders going into drugs. This is my privilege, you know, not only to drive my motorcycle around, around the world and take pictures, but to to work on it, to produce something, sell it, and have a good purpose doing it.
1: That's great. So the books are called Sliding Through and Faces of Africa. So does the Faces of Africa book support charitable work in Africa? Yes.
0: To start with, I want to say the sliding through is sliding through book which can be found on slidingthrough.com is both uh, available in Icelandic and uh, English but the faces of africa called uh, antlit africa in Icelandic antlit afrika is only available in Icelandic at the moment but uh, the revenue that we generate from selling the faces of africa plus the The revenue from the documentaries that is being uh, produced now, we expect five episodes. All will go into uh, the the fund, but we will uh, now support or donate the money to uh, education of African
1: children. That's brilliant. So I've been lucky to have a sneak preview of a few of your television documentaries, which, as you said, they've aired on national TV and... Iceland. So are there plans for distributing these elsewhere or making them available via the usual well-known streaming platforms?
0: Well, we, uh, you know, the national TV uh, station here in Iceland is responsible for uh, introducing this to content providers. And they said, you know, uh, when we will have uh, like uh, eight to 10 episodes, like one series, then we will introduce it so i expect that they will start introducing it after we have finished the african uh, africa episodes
1: that's incredible so that's work in progress at the moment that's uh, that's brilliant so i'm i'm sure whatever you've got in the planning for those christian you'll make it work cuz uh, as i've discovered you're a very very determined guy so Just finally, though, I know you established at the beginning of the podcast that you didn't see yourself as a motorcyclist, but a traveller on a motorcycle. But in one of those documentaries, your wife was discussing her views and her experiences, and she stated that motorcycles really connect people. And that's so true, isn't it? Because through your motorcycle, you've managed to connect people and experiences across the globe in a truly life-changing way. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to call you a motorcyclist.
0: No, thank you. I'm honoured, Andy. You do it. <laughs> I should I should do it. Uh, after I have been writing all these distances, I, of course, I am a motorcyclist.
1: In case it got lost in the detail, Christian, just where can people find out more about the Sliding Through Foundation and where can they buy the book and both books, in fact?
0: My homepage is slidingthrough.com. People can buy both books there. Uh, having said that, sliding through is only available in, in, in English. People can donate also if they want to. People can also buy uh, uh, viewing permission to my documentaries. But I can tell you one thing, Andy. You have shown me a big respect by uh, you know inviting me to your podcast. I will give everyone who is interested uh, to see uh, the documentary. They only have to contact me through uh, slidingthrough.com and mention your name and I will send them the link free of charge, so they can
1: see it. Ah, wow. That's very, very kind of you. Well, listen, Christian, thanks for being our guest and entertaining us with your stories today. So I've enjoyed it immensely. Bye for now. Thank you, auntie. Thank you. cheers Christian. Like I said earlier, you've made me want to travel again. Thanks for your stories, the very best of luck with completing the documentaries, and continued success with your charitable foundation. Until next time, stay safe and take care out there everybody.